0: Something that I have learned, and maybe you have learned as well, is we are not designed to be alone. Turn to the person next to you or around you and tell them that. You are not designed to be alone. Come on, tell them. You are not designed to be alone. We see this in the Genesis account. If you think about it, in Genesis 1, after separating light from darkness, after separating water, sky, and ground, after um, causing the ground to produce grass and trees, uh, and plants, after placing the sun, moon, and stars, after putting fish in the sea, birds in the air, animals on the ground, God said that all of creation was what? Good. That's what Genesis tells us. All of it is is good. And then God created man, and God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Say that with me. It is not good for man to be alone. It should be on your outline. Take a look at it there. Let's read it together. God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. There's something about living out the fullness of humanity that requires others to be involved in our lives. We are not designed to be alone. The reason given for a woman's creation, I, I want you to catch this. This is just kind of a, a sub-sermon in this whole message today. But the reason given for a woman's creation is so that man would not be alone. It's it's really clear. Look at it. Genesis 2, right there in your outline. God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. And Adam exclaimed, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. I won't go too deep into this, but there's some really interesting things in this uh, creation account in Genesis 1 that so often we just gloss right over when we read it. It's interesting that woman was created out of man. That's a really interesting fact. We don't have time to unpack that, but it's, it's a big thing. And that God created woman as a different gender. That's another big thing. Both facts tell me one thing, that God was doing something intentional. God was doing something on purpose. And we need to see that coming into the, the really the end of our series today. Another aspect of this account rather grabs my attention in genesis two twenty five look at this now the woman or the man rather now the man and his wife were both what naked, but they felt no what shame let 's read that again now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame in biblical tradition to be naked was a shameful condition, um, but in this case though, there was no shame, there was no embarrassment, you know why because they were Together. That's something that we we miss when we read this account. They were together. They had community. And because they had real community, there was no shame. They could be completely vulnerable and transparent with each other. Only after sin entered the picture did they feel the need to cover themselves. It's interesting, isn't it? Sin destroys the the togetherness that we have. And so at the core of who we are, I want you to to get this down in your outline. At the core of who we are, there is a need for being together. There's a need for being together. Together. There is a yearning for companionship, for community, and that's one of the main reasons that Jesus came to earth to establish a new community of people who do life together, to to restore togetherness through the redemptive work of the cross. Now think about the truths that, that Jesus taught. Think about how he taught love others second only to God. They taught, uh, he taught serve others above yourself. Forgive others as God forgives you. These and other teachings, they set the framework for the togetherness that Jesus promotes. Togetherness is deeply grounded In the heart of Jesus and in in the, the heart of what he wants us as his people to experience. It's what Jesus had for his followers, wanted for his followers more than anything else. And, and it's, it, it, uh, Jesus does something to create this environment for us. Uh, he wants us to experience this togetherness, this being together, so much so that he creates a special environment, something that had never been heard of up until that point. In Matthew 6, 18, Jesus says some very popular words, I will build my, what, church. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which literally means a gathering of people for a purpose. A group of people called out from their homes to come into a public space for a purpose. When Jesus launched the idea of church, it was a group of people gathering together around a simple mission and a a simple message. Jesus' purpose was not merely to, to save and redeem individuals. We've seen that through this series. Jesus made following him to be a group experience for you and I to experience through the church. And this church, this term church, does not show up again until Acts chapter 2, where we've been looking at for the last six weeks The New Testament historian Luke tells us, look at it, Acts 2 verse 14, that Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. With the help of Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And what happened? Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the what? Church that day. Ecclesia, same word that Jesus used. Church. Church is not an event where people attend. Church is not a building that people enter. Church is always talking about a group of people. When we say Pathway Church, that's us. It's not this building. It's not this campus. It's not some event that we have on Sundays. Pathway Church is us, you and me, together. Get this down, following Jesus is designed to be a group experience. It's designed to be a group experience. And today we come to the end of our series. And we've been talking about who we're becoming as a church, how we've been wanting to change our DNA, becoming something different, something new. And we've been looking at the original prototype in Acts chapter 2 about how the church started, how it was launched. And the writer of Luke tells us that all the believers devoted themselves. Say that word with me, devoted. That's a great word. It's a really strong word in the New Testament. Um, It it talks about leaning hard into. Would you lean on somebody next to you just for a moment? If you're sitting next to somebody, lean hard into them. Not just, you know, a little pansy lean, but this push into them. Okay, that's what it's talking about. Devoted is is leaning hard into into something. It's it's to be actively engaged. It's to be doing something with intense effort. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching is what Acts 2.42 says. But I want you to know that the emphasis was not on the teaching, it was on the learning. The believers were so committed to learning together. This was at the core, the very core of the life of the church, learning together. The writer Luke tells us that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. We've talked about that. Fellowship is the English translation for the Greek word koinonia. You may have heard that word before. It speaks of an active partnership. A group of people where every person considers the needs of someone else first. Where they share everything. Where they pull together rather than pulling apart. This is what the church is all about. This is, the believers were committed to doing life together. Not just learning together, but doing life together. This was the core of the church. The writer Luke tells us that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals. Eating together to connect, to build culture. That's what they were doing the early church. They were no longer Jews. They were now Jesus followers. And so they were developing a new culture. They were becoming a people group. They were bonding together. And they did that over sharing meals together. The believers were committed to this. This was very, the very core of the life of the church. Luke tells us, lastly, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to what? Prayer. Prayer. To experience what God was doing, they had to be praying. That's why the early Jesus Jesus followers were so committed to praying together. This was the very core of the life of the church. And so these believers show us how together a church should be. That's the thing I wanted to talk about for just a few minutes today. Because we see all of these elements, these four elements that we've unpacked over the last several weeks. And yet, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to, to walk right past the most important bonding agent of these elements. It is the togetherness. It's being together. It's what makes it all work. Um, I think this is where we struggle in our culture. I think every church, not just our church, but I think every church struggles with this being together. I think the problem has to do with three concepts, how we view, how we look at three specific concepts. It's it's the words dependent, independent, and interdependent. How we view these three ideas, these three concepts in our lives and in our, how we apply them in our lives and, and, and really relate to them, I think, I think it's important for us to talk about them for just a moment. Most of us realize that being dependent on others is not always a good thing. I mean, we are very familiar with the idea of being codependent, right? How many of you are familiar with that? And so we know that that's not necessarily a good thing. And so we lean hard into this next idea of being independent. This is something that we Americans love. Um, our most important noc- national document is the Declaration of Independence. Our country is built on This idea of being independent. We've been taught that our nation was founded on the idea of independence, which, by the way, that's incorrect. Our nation was not built on the idea, concept of independence. You know what it was built on? The idea of freedom. Big difference. Big difference. In fact, I'll take it one step further. Freedom together. That's what it was built on. Hmm. We've been taught that happiness in life comes from independence right If you just get out on your own you live life on your own you just you find happiness and fulfillment that way and yet we know maybe we are some of the most unhappy people on the planet why because independence is not the answer see friends happiness doesn't come from being independent it's true Happiness isn't found in being isolated. By by living your life with all of the barriers up and and, you know keeping everyone out and having all the masks on so that people are remaining at arm's length, at arm's distance. That is not the way to be happy. Actually it's the polar opposite. Fulfillment in life comes from interdependence. That's the concept that we don't talk a lot about in our culture. We don't talk a lot about it in church. It's from living in community with others. It's being together with others. It's kind of funny to me. This isn't on my notes, so Anthony, don't try to follow me on this. But it's kind of funny to me that we know this, but we don't apply it. I mean, we, we know that sharing life, sharing the things of life, is what brings the most fulfillment. And how I know that we know this is when we find a new restaurant that we like, right? Or maybe a new food item. I do this all the time at our house, and I, 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 all my family, they're like, would you just stop it? You know, but when I find something really good, it's like, just try this. Just, why am I trying to get them to try it? I'm trying to get them to enjoy it with me. Now, my wife has a tendency, she's not in the room so I can talk about her. She, she has a tendency that when I have her try something, she, she rolls her nose, I call it. She, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, you know, and then it just deflates me, you know, it's like, psh, why do I ever have you try anything? You know, it, it's kind of one of those things. You want to be, it wants, you want it to be a shared experience, right? Right, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You find something good, you, a, a food item, and it's like, oh, this is so good, you have to try it, you have to try it. This restaurant, oh, it's so good. This movie was, oh, it's so good, you got to go see it, right? We, we want, we want the shared experience. Why? Because we know That it's better when it's together. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And yet we miss the fact that life could be better. Not just that food item, not just that movie experience or whatever we're talking about, but all of life could be better together. Hmm. Okay, let's get back to the notes. This is something that, that we miss out on. The Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, we are different parts that form one body in Christ. Each one of us is joined with one another and we become, oh, good word, together what we could not be alone. I love that out of the voice translation. And we become together what we could not be alone. That's good. There's nothing like the church when the church is working right. It's really true. Acts 2, the church is working the way it's supposed to. Together they experienced God working in them and through them. Look at verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Look at verse 44. Together they gave this assistance to those in need. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And then they demonstrated their care for each other not only in practical ways, they worshipped together. Look what it says in verse 46. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added those who were being saved. So being together became their deepest commitment. Being together. Carrying out Jesus' mission together. Glorifying God together. Being together. Sadly, this is what we miss out on all too often. I think it's because we Become very absorbed and consumed and preoccupied with our world, with our schedule, with our responsibilities, with our lives. And we all know this is true. We all know the reason that we don't be together as much as we should be because we all live our own lives, right? Our daily schedules, monthly calendars get full we try to juggle work and family and chores and projects and sleep and you know what you run out of you run out of time you run out of resources you run out of energy anybody else like me in that you just you just run out and and so you you get to the point where you don't think that that being together is is something that you can do that being together with other people, you never feel you have enough time, you haven't, never have enough energy or resources to even pull this off. I'm doing good to do what I do, to think that I would add something else to my schedule, to think that I would add someone else's emotional baggage to my emotional baggage. No, I can't, I can't do this. I don't have enough. I'm already overbooked in life. Have you ever thought about that our busyness can be really destructive in our lives. Now, I'm not talking physically. We know this to be true. We, we, we know all of this stuff medically and all this, you know, in the physical arena of how a stress level affects you and overworking and all these kinds of things affect you, how, how your health can be affected by an overextended schedule. We, we, we know all that. But have you ever thought about this on the lines of spiritually? Have you ever thought about the fact that busyness in your life can affect you spiritually. It's true. I mean, I've discovered that an overbusy schedule in my life can limit my spiritual life. I've found that the enemy of my soul, Satan, tries to keep me busy at, at doing all kinds of things so that I don't focus on what's most important. And I've gotta confess something to you all too often, the way I live my life gets in the way of what Jesus wants to do in my life. And I bet it's the same thing in your life. Something I'm sure of is togetherness doesn't just happen. It really doesn't. You don't just fall into a deep caring togetherness with other people. It just doesn't happen that way. Time has to be spent. Conversations have to take place. Life has to be shared. If you don't spend time together, if you don't share your thoughts and feelings together, if you don't experience life together, you'll never be together. So going deeper and relating it doesn't happen automatically, even though we would love for it to. It doesn't happen automatically. So if I'm not making time to be together with other people, it will never happen. And I won't experience life in the way that God designed me, designed for me to experience life. I won't experience church for what it's supposed to be don't know if you've ever thought about it, but church is way more than just this experience here on Sunday mornings. If it isn't in your life, you've got about a tenth of what the church is supposed to be in your life. Hmm. See, I'm learning that Jesus never intended for me to do life alone. And if I can just be honest with you, which I would like to do. I think some of us are worn out because we're trying to be, trying to do life on our own. I don't know if you feel like I do sometimes. This has been one of those weeks. A lot of things going on. Not Not just your average work week living life stuff, but just things on top of that that have um, Deedee and I praying more and thinking more and not sleeping as good as normal and um, probably worrying more and stressing more than what we should be. And you realize at that point, we're realizing it more than ever, that I was never intended to make it alone. Neither were you. Um, there's this old African proverb that uh, I have not found it yet. If you ever find this for me, please buy it and give it to me. But I've never found it on a plaque yet, but I I think this is fantastic. Go ahead, Anthony, would you show it to us? When you run alone, you run fast, but when you run together, you run far. Isn't that good? See, something that we need to realize is your life is not a sprint. Your life is a marathon. Don't you wish... That you could get to the finish line quickly? I'm not talking about be, you know, dying and going to heaven. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But don't you wish in life sometimes that you could just be to, you know, in a season of life, whatever you're going through, don't you wish you could just be at the, at the finish line like right now? Like whatever you're going through right now, don't you wish it was over like in the next three minutes? And that you would be done with whatever that you know, season that you're going through. Would you be done with that? I do. Man, there are so many times I wish I could hit the finish line. It's like, am I ever going to hit the finish line? How long am I going to be involved in this? Right? I mean, I'm stepping into things right now personally in my life, in my family's life. We're stepping into areas now where it's like, I I, I looked at my wife yesterday and I said, is this the new normal? Because I wasn't really ready for the new normal. I liked the old normal. Do you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, we're beginning to experience things and stress and feelings and and the unknown in ways it's like wow okay I wasn't ready for this wasn't prepared for these kinds of things and um, I've discovered that I'm in this for a while it's not a sprint it's a marathon and I've got to last so do you I want to run far, not just fast. I want to run far. Hmm. My question to you is, do you have anyone in your life running with you? It's a good question. You say, well, I'm married. That's cool. And nothing against your spouse. Okay? But your spouse is not enough. If you don't have... Other people in your life, other than your spouse, you were putting way too much pressure on your spouse. Do you have anyone in your life that's running with you? A couple of years ago, actually it's been a while now, I, wrote a, I read a book um, that Starbucks, now chairman, he used to be CEO, but now he's chairman, Howard Schultz, wrote called... Um, uh, pouring, I believe it was something pouring your heart into it. I think it was the title of this book. And um, interesting vision, a very audacious vision that that Starbucks had and still continues to have. Um, their desire is to create a place for people to be together in order to sell coffee. The, you know the, the money is the bottom line to any business like this, right? But... The way they want to do it is they want not that through advertising, not through better product, not through anything. They want to create a place for people to come together. In fact, it was so much a driving force in the early times of, of Starbucks that they entitled it the third place. And I, I challenge you, go on Google And look up the third place concept. It was actually um, back in the 70s, a, a psychologist, sociologist came up with this concept of the third place. That you would have home, you would have work, and you would have another gathering place in your life. They called it a third place. And Howard Schultz said, we want to make Starbucks the third place in people's lives. Home, work, and Starbucks. Now what's interesting is it wasn't new. Because it's been around for a while. The, the third place idea concept actually was being run and promoted, and they may not have even realized it, but it was being promoted through taverns and pubs and bars. And so Starbucks is really stealing the idea of having this gathering place, this community place, and they're saying we want to make it home, work. And Starbucks, he wrote this in the book, people didn't know that they needed a neighborhood gathering place, but when we gave it to them, their enthusiastic response overwhelmed us. <laughs> That's how Starbucks has made their millions, right? Now, my issue isn't against Starbucks. I enjoy a cup of coffee at Starbucks just like you would. My issue isn't that they're trying to create a place like this because I've had meetings there and met people there and enjoyed the space that they offer. And I think it's kind of a cool environment. And one of our classrooms upstairs, we kind of modeled it after the Starbucks model, you know? And so we're trying to create that kind of space too. But here's, here's my issue and here's my frustration in being a part of a church all of my life and being a follower of Jesus who believes in the, in the work of the church on, on planet Earth. My frustration is that the church hasn't done this. They haven't created, we haven't created a third space, a third place, so that it would be homework church. We haven't done a very good job of this. Togetherness isn't what the church is known for, right? I mean, come on, if if we all went downtown and started polling people, surveying people downtown, just asking them, what comes to mind when you think of church? How many of you would know without a doubt that togetherness would not come into the conversation? When people think of church, they don't think of being together. Now you may, only because we've been talking about it. And so often we have this mindset, if we are a part of a church, we've been in church so much that we don't see past that bias. But friends, I'm telling you, togetherness is not what the church is known for because we're not living how Jesus says we should live. Those are strong words, but it's true. I mean, come on. Look what Jesus says in John 13. All people will know that you are my followers if you love... Wait. So often we read this and think, if you love people... Oh, I love people. I love Joe on the street there, that homeless guy that I just gave, you know, a dollar to. I love people. I work with Susie and Cindy, and I love them, right? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. The each other, he's talking about other followers. In fact, in this setting, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying to his disciples, the 12, you, Group have to love each other and people will know that you are my followers let's take it into pathway church pathway church Jesus says pathway church you need to love each other really love each other or the world around you will not know that you are my followers what would it be like in our church In our small church here on the corner of Mount Acadia and Mount Ararat, what would it be like if we became a church that was known for loving each other more than any other experience people have ever seen? What would it do, not only in us, but what would it do through us? It's a good question, huh? This is the DNA change that we need. And i got to tell you something. I've discovered that changing the DNA of a church takes a lot longer than changing the paint job or the carpet like we've done. It takes a lot longer. You know why? Because in order to change the DNA of a church, we have to change inside of us. You know why? Because we are the church. And so if you and I stay the same, the church stays the same. And Starbucks stays the third place in people's lives. I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with that. I think there's something about what Jesus has established in the church that people are missing. Maybe that you and I are missing. And it's time. Get this down. Jesus wants me to experience life together through the church. I jotted this little phrase down after everything went out so I didn't have time to put it on your outline. But I want you to write it down. It just kind of popped in my head the other day. That's Friday afternoon. Together only happens when there is more than one. Hmm. Together only happens when there's more than one right? So if you and I are living by ourselves, doing life by ourselves, not opening up and sharing with anyone in life, we will never be together. And if we are not together, then we are not doing life the way Jesus wants us to do life. We are not doing life the way it's designed by God. Would you bow your heads with me?